another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my asylum inmate and co-host, Alex Dandino. All right, guys, before today's amazing episode, a little bit of business. Per usual, guys, it's official. The Film Alchemists are on Patreon. So that's patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join our community over on Patreon. Um, We are slowly growing our community. We've got a library of Patreon-exclusive episodes. The really cool thing, if you guys join us, because we are trying to work hard for your dollars, man. We know every dollar is hard-earned. We want to do the same. You guys, at various levels, can begin to spe- uh, select the specific episodes and movies you want us to discuss. You can begin to curate our Patreon-exclusive library to be exactly what you want. So, guys, again, that is Film Alchemist, or uh, patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. Go over there, please, if you can join us. Uh, we appreciate it. For those of you who already do, we love you. For those of you who are about to, thank you in advance. Make sure you leave us a rating and review wherever you're finding the show. That's a free, easy, quick way to help the show, especially if not to be app or podcast app. Help us fight the oppressive algorithmic please. time lords. Uh, that helps us chart, find new uh, listeners, this and that. That's always good. Thank you uh, for those of you who've done that. It does mean the world to us. Go to our YouTube channel, subscribe, uh, Film Alchemist over there. You can find video versions of most of our episodes along with a lot of other cool shit we have coming out over there. Uh, You can find us on all the socials. We uh, can be reached by email at filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you guys. Reach out anytime. Oh, right. Enough of that business. Let's get to time traveling. This month, the pod travels in time. We had a a, uh, a fun, pretty toothless jaunt in safety not guaranteed <laughs> into the mind of an unsafe Napoleon Dynamite man who should never have gotten the girl. Now, <laughs> that's a weird summary of that movie. Wow. Today, we're going back in time to, I don't know, not be able to change anything or help anyone in 12 Monkeys. Uh, this was one of the movies. At that age in my life, right, where you were discovering, I want to make movies for a living, right? That's what I wanted to be when I grew up. This was one of those movies I found at that age. And I remember it being this really frenetic kind of pinball of a movie. Just this wild, artistic expression of a film. And I fucking love 12 Monkeys. When I watched it today... It's not quite the movie I remember. I found it to be a lot more somber, uh, introspective than I remembered, right? I thought it was actually, it actually, I don't know if I want to say the word dragged a little bit, but it definitely was not the uh, roller coaster ride I remembered. Alex, opening thoughts on 12 Monkeys. Yeah, uh, 12 Monkeys is also a movie I saw when I was much younger. Uh, I had seen Brazil and... Um, I was kind of in a Terry Gilliam moment, so I was, like, watching, like, Time Bandit and Munchausen and then this movie. And um, I remember this being very – I remember this being very frenetically paced as well. I don't think that necessarily changed for me, but for a very different reason. Watching this as an adult – or not as an adult, but as an older person who hadn't seen it in a very long time, this – was an odd experience i gotta be honest i don't know how i felt about the movie like i I watched so like this is supposed to be inspired are you saying you did not like the film we'll get to that i (laughs) um i was like this will be the one the old just the tip approach eh (laughs) everyone like i i remember watching so like i'd seen this and then in college uh for one of my classes we watched la jete which is supposed to supposedly the inspiration for this movie uh la jete is this uh short french film by chris marker um that has a lot of similar vibe like a lot of same time travel thing um only there, there's as much more focus on like nuclear nuclear apocalypse rather than uh well covid um <laughs> But yeah, I yeah, um, right. That was the weird thing this time around is you're like, holy shit, this felt a lot scarier. It was really, after really close through, to home. Uh, the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it's a really fascinating thing. Like, but so for me, 
this is my thing is I love, I love Brazil. And I think time bandits is awesome. Like there are movies that Terry Gilliam's made that I think are really good. I can tell you definitively Terry Gilliam is not one of my favorite filmmakers. I, I think he employs the same technique over and over and over again to an exhausting effect in a lot of ways. And <laughs> from and like there, there are directors who do their bits. Like that's not what I'm getting at at all. Like every director has a motif and I love motifs. I love directors. I think the auteur theory is very interesting. I love that kind of shit. I do not think that Terry Gilliam's auteurism necessarily speaks to me when I watch this movie. And for me, actually it distracts me a lot of the time from what I think is otherwise probably a very interesting movie. Yeah, and just in case you guys hear anything in the background, I am safe. I'm not in a war zone. It's July 5th, so half off firework day. Everyone's blowing up my neighborhood. Is that what's happening? Yeah, it is a (laughs) lot of... Apparently, fireworks are just way easier to get than they were when I was a kid, and they're blowing up everywhere. Evidently. Um, Yeah, and I think... I I agree with you on Terry Gilliam, right? I came to Terry Gilliam as a a Monty Python kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was very young, I became obsessed with Holy Grail. Yes. I was one of those cool guys, you know, I, you know, I was just rolling in it, right? So I had all the classic, like, guy who was getting tail all the time. I was oh, on wow, the speech yeah. team. Yeah. Uh, you know, I used to do scripted duo, and we would do Monty Python bits, you know, fighting them off, as it were. Like, get away, lady. <laughs> get Take a line like the BMV or the DMV, right? The dong. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> That's either here or there. Anywho, <laughs> if I could time travel back, I wouldn't change that joke. So here we are. So I love Terry Gilliam, right? But I think to your point, right? I think I think that's kind of uh, I had that that feeling with Clockwork Orange a little bit, mm-hmm. where I feel like that's kind of the cool thing. Movies kind of age with us differently, right? They even talk about that in this film, right? That movies are cool because every time you watch them, it's a new movie because you're a new person, right? And I think this is one of those things where Terry Gilliam is very much the filmmaker I wanted to be and was and idolized when I was a film student. When I thought the role of the director was to be the most important person on set and to make everything (laughs) about themselves. And I was like, of course, that's what I want to be. Right. And you don't realize how many artists it takes to make a movie. Right. And how much goes into it and that that you're all part of this big organism. Right. And I'm sure everyone has their debates on who is the most important or not. Right. I think the thing with something like 12 Monkeys is, is I agree with you in a way. I don't think it distracted me as there were definitely scenes where you're. You're just like Terry Gilliam's style and his choices definitely put 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 you out of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Where you are now more focused on why is he doing that? Why is he shooting that? Instead of just being immersed in the universe, right? Right. What I would say is that if there was ever a movie where that didn't bother me with Terry Gilliam, this is the one. Because the whole movie what I latched on to more today, right, is this was not this time travel caper that I remembered. No. This movie is an absolute body horror movie to me, right? This loss of self. Mm-hmm. And how very thin the line is between our realities, right? How we see ourselves, how others see ourselves, and the consequences of uh, that reality shifting and blurring. And that's what horrified me today, right? Is latching on to our psychiatrist. Yeah. And this woman who her job is to tell you that everything that you believe is not true. And having to confront the fact, oh my God, what if these these wards that I've always looked down on as crazy, less thans, untouchables, undesirables. Right. What if one of them knows the truth? And what does right. that make? Well, me? like that. And that goes into what the movie really is about, which is like the theme that it really centers on. And, when I was younger, again, this did not <laughs> this did not occur to me when I was younger, by the way, when we saw and I saw this movie. It was only on this viewing that I'm like, oh, the scene in the museum is the actual movie. We're just not I just like I'm young and not paying attention. I'm just like, oh, how fucking cool is it that, I, you know, he's covered in plastic and there's dying and there's fucking lions on rooftops and shit like I'm not paying attention to that when I'm younger. This time when watching it, I was like, oh, I get it now. Like this is. The Cassandra Complex, which is what the um, Matt Madeline Stowe, the actress who plays um, Dr. Rayleigh, is it? Um, 
that's what she's giving basically she's giving the um she's giving her speech on is the cassandra complex which is the idea that anybody like somebody can be like for like you can be foretelling a catastrophe an oncoming catastrophe and no one will believe you like that person could be completely correct but no one would ever believe them because it doesn't fit into the mold of society so to speak it's the it's a fascinating it is a fascinating concept and that to me i was like oh that's what this movie actually is so like watch i watched i watched it twice because the first time i watched it um was yesterday and i watched it again today and yesterday after i watched it, i was like i'm not into this like there's something about this that's rubbing me the wrong way and then i watched it again today and i'm like <laughs> it's weird like and i i i, I I don't know how else to describe it. Like I felt bad. Like, and I, I didn't want to text you this. Cause honestly, I usually text you during the movies, but I was like having a visceral reaction yesterday. I mean like, does this movie suck? Am I just dumb? Like what is going on? And I'm like, it doesn't suck. Like this movie doesn't suck. Like this movie is like my yes. speed, but I, I realized the movie is about not about time travel. This is like the most, and this is like the weird thing that we're putting it in, in this month, but like there's a time travel element to the movie. This movie is about the perception of self. And I think that is like, once they started paying attention to that and really locking in on those beats, that was something that I actually latched onto and was able to really enjoy about the movie. Right. Well, and this is the thing, the time travel in this movie, I actually quite adore, right? This is something I kind of hit on when I was pondering my time travel script, right? Right. So I was writing more of a a safety, not guaranteed level horror movie, right? This kind of indie you know, dramedy, right? They had a time travel genre element to it, right? And what I was thinking about when I was contemplating time travel, right, is that only really sad, broken people go back. But also, if only really sad and broken people would travel back in time, our reality would not exist. The moment those sad and broken people could go back and start altering everything, right? how could any of this exist? Because, of course, they would go back and, through malfeasance, destroy everything. Right. This movie posits in a really fascinating way. You can go back all you want. What's happened has happened. Yeah. And it cannot be undone. Right. And the only thing you can do is go back in time and try to leave breadcrumbs so that we can fix our modern world. Right. And I thought that was really fucking brilliant. Right. I love that idea. The problem is, is that it's twofold. Right. Is that one, it's paradoxical. Because... By going back, well, I mean, okay, so we'll debate that later. Uh, did well, yeah, Cole, that, there's something that happens in this movie that we have to talk about regarding yeah. that? Did we'll Cole, in fact, plant this idea, or did he not? Right, I think you could make a case that he did not, which would not create the paradox. Right, right. The problem with this movie in that regard, and I think what you're latching onto, is again, this is not the frenetic, fun adventure thriller through time right this no. is not seven through time and space right or we're chasing down this bad man right and saving reality the determinism of this right this is one of those like philosophical debates right if you believe that everything is predetermined how can you not fall into despair right right the first the first uh you know will of free will is having to believe that you are free to make a choice Right. That is the first essence of like a philosophical debate. Right. Right. You have to believe that you can make a choice or else. Anywho, neither here nor there. I'm not even smart enough to begin doing that. bit. <laughs> right. I read these things, but I'm not smart enough actually. to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I read a lot of this and I just just to like exercise my brain, but I can't. I'm not smart enough to like actually wrestle with it. So I do this. I do bits on podcast. Right. But that's the problem with the film is that if he goes back in time. And he's telling us by his nature that these 5 billion people will die. And there's absolutely nothing he can do about it. The only stakes in the movie for you become, do I think this future is worth saving? Which everything in the movie is telling us it does not seem like it at all. (laughs) And by the end of the movie, you're like, well, maybe he'll get to see the ocean. And those are pretty fucking small yeah intimate stakes for a movie about the death of five billion people in the human race well yeah like the conceit becomes less about saving humanity or like learning how to fix what's already been done like i i really this is like i really do like the time travel in this movie i i I, it's one of the like and it's weird to say this i thought about this a lot 
this one and Bill and Ted have the least aggravating time travel issues. Like, to be honest with you, <laughs> like the, both of them accept the past as the past, like, and the future is the future. Like they literally accept what will come. And so this is less like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but 12 monkeys and Bill and Ted have non paradoxical issues in my opinion, when it comes to their time travel, because they are accepting of the reality that life continues no matter what. So there is no going back and changing anything. There is no like redetermining your future. You are just determining what will you're determining by going back. You're determining how to fix your current state of being. Right. And that gets to what I was saying in safety, not guaranteed is that if time is an entity like that, it would have to have built in defenses because we would of course destroy it. Right. Like that's, that's what Absolutely. we're saying with climate change, right? If we keep fucking around, we gonna find out, and we're not gonna be here, right? right? <laughs> the planet will excise us when it needs to be done with us, and it will go on, and we won't. That's what time would have to be able to do too, right? But this is the thing: the determinism can be a problem. We are like, oh well, now why do I care about this movie? But you just hit it right there. Is the way I was thinking about it, right? Is that the time travel becomes? this parallel journey to the introspective nature of the movie, which is the only thing we can do as people, right? I think most of our problems in life stem with stem from we're not who we want to be. And we feel like we'll never be able to change it. Right? right. Like I remember I had a therapist that told me depression is the inability to see yourself in a bright and better future. Right. That's this movie to a core. The time travel in this is the exact same as using your mind to travel back in time and actually give an honest accounting of your behavior and what's led you to this point. So in that regard, the time travel, you don't have to worry about all this science fiction no. nonsense, That's right? Like, it, it's, it's just this fun extra flavor yeah. for a, it's a chiefly, what led me to this point. Well, it's interesting because like the time travel in this movie is like a chiefly uninteresting piece of like iconography. Like actually it's kind of just like there as a thing everyone knows as a thing. <laughs> It's fascinating to do this movie for this month because the time travel in it is almost yeah it's almost secondary to the actual plot of the story. Like it has almost no bearing because like really at the end of the story at the end of the day these kinds of like this kind of movie this is about going back and determining what happened so we can fix the future we're already in. The the present we already find ourselves in. What's fascinating about this movie is that like you were saying, the stakes immediately shift to whether or not Cole will see the beach or go to the Keys or all this other shit. Like, there's so many other smaller important beats in this movie that I want for Cole that I don't give a shit. Like, the future sucks already. I don't give a shit. Like, I actually was sitting there the whole time being like, I would just, like, desperately try to stay. Like, I don't care what anyone else was doing. Like, I would try so hard. Well, they were hard. saying a lot of the time travelers did, right? They're like, did you just do drugs and bang people? And yeah. they're like, that's all I'd do. I'd be like, fuck this mission. <laughs> be like, I'd be done. I'd be like, fuck yeah. it. I'm out. I would this land and I would better. grab the nearest commuter, right? By the collars, the lapels. And they'd be like, where's the brothel and drugstore? <laughs> Point me in the direction, please, God. Right? <laughs> and then I'd be like... If the 12 monkeys happen to be also wrestling prostitutes, I'll ask them what they did. That's the extent of my commitment. Yeah, that's all my commitment. Like they keep bringing, <laughs> I love, I love this like kind of motif that they keep bringing Cole back. Like you're a good observer. It's like, dude, he has nothing else to do. Like clear, like, and I was trying to figure, I was thinking about like what in the future, because all these basically the concept of it being like only convicts that get sent back in the, get sent back to the future. All these convicts essentially get sent back, or sorry, get, get sent back to the past. All these convicts, like, I, I thought the same thing. I was like, why would anyone who's broken the law and knowing full well they have to go back to jail when they come back from the past, who the fuck would stay for that? Well, they, there's the two interesting beats, right? Is one, we are left to wonder what are the crimes they've committed in the future, right? Because right. essentially it feels like your crime is just trying to not be part of the system, right? Yeah. Which is very relatable stuff to all of us, right? We all want to be that hero. So are they actually criminals? The other thing I thought was fascinating is that in the start when him and Jose are arguing, right? When they're crane gaming people out of their cells. Yeah. 
And they're volunteering, but not volunteering, right? Right. He's like, why do you think they never come back? They all get pardons. And he's like, no, they're gone. They're killed. They're whatever, right? That's what they think is happening. What's actually happening is kind of more insane, right? Which is once you are in the time travel experiment, they will keep just launching you back in yeah, time. That's it. Right? We even see that it's the it's one of the weird hiccups of the movie is that uh Dr. Riley or Reilly, whatever Rayleigh, she does. Rayleigh. Rayleigh does not comprehend that she just wrote a whole book about Cassandra effect and a man saying the world would end a plague in 1996. In her, every thought is not consumed by the man who Houdini'd out of a room who told her the exact same story but six years ago. Right. Right? They, she just kind of seemingly, like, washes that aside. <clears throat> so what we're left to believe is that history She's is She's very filled. busy signing those books. Yeah, so, so yeah. busy. Right? That history is filled with the human fucking wreckage of the future. Right. That all of these undesirables, perhaps are sent back and that science isn't exacting science to them. So that man who was back in the, you know, fucking woodblock art period, whatever that was, that was a time traveler. He gets right. sent back to world war one and shot. Right. And the, that's another thing they never address is why they pull their time travelers back when they do. Right. But you know, they send them all well, over the fucking place. And if they don't pull their teeth out, right, they just come back and get, colonic right back into the past wherever right. they may land well they they also don't address how bad and inexact the science is of actually getting them to the past like well they kind of do an awesome wink and a nod in the very last scene of the movie right oh yeah they're always talking about that the oh, yeah. uh, the panel of people were advanced scientists that could save the future and at the end we see that the main lady right that he has been corresponding with the head of the scientist panel Right. He's sitting on the plane next to the very fucking rube that fucking starts guy. this whole thing. She's sitting right next to the guy with the red pigtail, dressed like the Riddler, and doesn't think that's unusual. Doesn't realize that she was at an airport too, well, whatever. And well, she, she says, I'm an insurance. I'm an insurance. Yep. She's not oh, a fucking scientist. It's right. another layer of this lie and ruse that's been built onto this society. Oh, you think she's being literal? Yeah. I think oh. she works as an insurance exec. I don't think she's a scientist at all. Oh, I think see, she usurped power and that the prisoners have deified them. Oh, see, I thought that was a um I thought that was a cute way of saying that they meant for this to happen. Like they're ensuring that this will occur. Oh, oh shit. So you think she's there specifically to make sure that the apocalypse goes down. Yes. Because she is a queen of a like, wasteland. This is like the whole... Because, like, Brad Pitt's well, character, okay. Goins... Okay, go on this. I like this. I like so Brad, this like, Brad Pitt's character, Goins, is all about... He's an anti-corporate, like... He's, like, anti-fascist, anti-corporate. Like, this is literally the most corporate thing you can think of is an engineered... A tra time traveler who finds their way back to the moment, knowing full well that this is the person who's carrying all this shit that's going to, like, literally torch humanity. The insurance that that future occurs is probably more important than anything else. It's how the men stay on top. It's not about like and think about it also like in the way you were putting it, global warming, deforestation, all this shit like this was 1995. So like that was all still pretty prevalent stuff. It's an environmentalist thing. Five billion less people is a lot less people on this planet, man. Ah, uh, see. OK, so I took that as just. The future was fucked anyways, right? You know, this wasn't a nothing is fucked, dude. It'll be fine, dude. Right. This was like an actual like, oh, my God. The inmates are running the asylum of the future. If we take it as you're saying where she, her, she is the insurance to make sure that this plan keeps going, that would explain why Jose comes back with the gun, has to give the gun to Cole so that he runs through. Because that's the thing, right? When... This is that this is where the emotional stakes of the movie really pay off. Right. So when she's like, it's him, he was at my lecture, she reads the paper and she's like, he's the one who's going to destroy the world, right? Right. The logical behavior would be to run back to the payphone and be like, hey, it's fucking <laughs> P-tail guy that works at Jeffy's dad's company or whatever, right? That's the logical way to save yes humanity right 
Absolutely. Go back and send another traveler, right? Not Jose or Cole. Send someone else back to fucking get that guy. Mm-hmm. Done, right? It's the baby Hitler thing, right? Take him out before he can become that guy. Right. That would make sense then, right? Because it's like, why does they send Jose back and just say, Jose, you get the guy. Because this is what Cole says, right? This isn't even about the mission. This is about following the rules. So that seems to play with what you're saying. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, to me, like, this is, this goes back to everything we've been talking about. And it's, I want to, I can now bring this up. So, because to me, the scene where, the scene at the end of the movie. So Cole has this recurring nightmare in his, that he has where he, as a child, he sees a man shot and murdered in front of him at the airport. Now, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, this is the first scene in the movie we see. There's absolutely nothing about a movie called 12 Monkeys that happens to be a time travel that doesn't immediately tip me off going, that's probably Cole getting shot and killed on the airport. Like, I'm absolutely like, that was my first, like, that was the first thing I thought the first time I saw it. I was like, (laughs) I have a feeling that's probably that guy. But, and this is to the point though, is like you were saying, follow the rules and, him constantly telling people it doesn't matter the future's already happened like i i'm back here to just like lead breadcrumbs blah 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 that kind of thing to me it would be the ultimate corporate fuckery to know full well the paradoxical instance of like you were saying a baby hitler situation not telling somebody who is a convict and who also is in a situation where they might not be able to do that i mean I can't imagine I can't imagine any corporate entity ever wanting to tell a time traveler, hey, if you step on a butterfly, like you could literally just fuck up the entire future. I would tell everyone, like, do whatever you want. Like the future's already written. And then they would be like, like, no one's going to go like, you know, blow up the Empire State Building. They're on a mission to figure out. Well, that's see, that is one of the movies that got defeated in our Patreon vote off is Time Cop, which is where what a shame run back that. That is one of we'll my all-time time. Yeah, we'll I'm get to actually, time eventually. Well, because this is the thing, right? So the patrons voted, and the butterfly effect won out of nowhere. I think the butterfly effect is actually a better time travel discussion. Right. Because that whole movie is, if you step on a butterfly, what happens, right? Right. Is everything is just changing futures, right? Uh, what I think is, this is the thing. I don't know that I thought the first time that it would be Cole, right? One of the things in the movie that I actually didn't like this time, I actually hate the World War One beat. I hate it. It doesn't. It's stupid. Sorry. But not only that, like, it, I get it. It's fun to see, like, oh, man, he goes to other places. It's inexact, right? Oh, now he's led this quantum leap, leap kind of life, right? Where he's just going in and out, getting <laughs> right. had, right? Right. And again, it, it weakens the resolve that these are, you know, these masterminds of the future, whatever. What I hate about it, and it, it works for the doctor character, right? Because now she is, oh my God, he's right. I have evidence he's right. He knew about the boy in the barn. He had a World War I bullet in his leg. I know he's telling the truth. So now I will believe him and help him with his mission, right? And then watching people behave like she is now a lunatic. Right. Right. That's a really interesting blurred line, right? That she goes from being the judger of who is the judger, the judge, the judge. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, judger. I get it. It's all no good. Wonder I can't do fucking philosophizing. I can't even talk. But so she's the judge of who, you know, gets locked away for having unsafe beliefs. Now she knows the truth and no one will believe her. She's become Cassandra. Fine. I actually think that weakens Cole's journeys, though. And this is Cole's journey, which is when Cole comes back and he goes, you know what? You were right. I am crazy and I want you to help me. I want to be here with you. Right. I want to get better. Right. Those people are a figment of my imagination. You're my reality. I thought that was cooler. And her watching him say, God, I can't get enough of music and fresh air and sunlight. And those beats. Yeah. The building the trust that way. I think it's a more dramatic leap if she has to choose to believe him without hard evidence that he is time traveling, right? Because right. there, there's a there's a, a notion of the film, which you could watch this entire movie as just the journey of this sick man and sure. not know that any of it is real or not. We never will fully know 
what is real and what is not, right? There's a version of the movie that exists you could watch that way. Right. Once we introduce the World War One bullet, that dies. And I just think the other that that way is less dramatically interesting, right? Because now she is forced to believe him. And yes, she will suffer consequence. I think it's more interesting if she buys into him as a person, especially a, a, a right. possibly well, I, sick person. Well, I think that's what ends up happening. Like, I, I, the scene where they're driving to Philadelphia and he, she like is like uncontrollably sobbing in the car the whole time. Like while he's doing the, oh, I love this music. Oh, this is good. Because oh. he's fucking scary. He's terrifying, you know? Like yeah. she, like, but yes. that is. And that's the juxtaposition, right? Man yes. who is living the best moment of his life. And we know that, or we think right. we do. Right. Mixed with the woman who is fucking horrified because this man's ecstasy is scary as shit to her. That's what right. the movie well, does best. It does. I I think that's what Terry Gilliam does best. Like as a filmmaker, he does very the juxtaposition he works on is very good, and I think that's why, I think that's why a lot of the time, like, because again, I'm not like I've already said, like I don't I'm not a big fan of I I hate hate how much Dutch angles are used in his movies. Like there's just like it's literally like my least favorite thing. Like and it's every every shot like that's why i found that's why i found the car ride so riveting because quite frankly i didn't have to pay attention to the camera angle we were filming (laughs) it was like great and look that's a weird nitpick but i I just don't like i think dutch angles like he does it in everything and i'm just like i I get it and then the but then also like his like but like i I loved but it works for me like when they get to philadelphia and they and he like confronts jeffrey who's like absolutely manic finally like you like even like sitting in a fucking with a p-tail sitting in a fucking tuxedo is absolutely out of his fucking mind and you're watching this whole scene go down and it's fascinating because like cole is technically the sane one i think that's like the crazier thing that you think about when you watch this movie is like cole is literally the sanest man walking the planet in 1995 1990 and he can, and again, it's Cassandra complex. He cannot convince anybody of what's to come. So he just has to sit there and like overwhelming despair, trying to like, like he can't prevent anything. He just needs information. Like all he needs is a name. Right. But that's what, that's what I was saying though. Right. Is it right. that that's the dramatic tension of the movie is here's a man who is going back in time to a doomed world. Right. And he is falling in love with a world he knows is going to be destroyed. Right. So it matters even more to him to have people believe him. Right. Right? When you take away that having people have to accept him, it's just less interesting, right? The fact that he is – and again, if you play it as we never know if he's sick or not, he just has this belief. Mm -hmm. Again, I think that makes the movie work better. Yeah. And so there there's a little clunkiness in act two and and once Jeffrey's in inserted, right? Jeffrey's another one of those things that didn't age well for me. Did you know Brad Pitt got nominated for an Oscar for this? I joked with you before the show that what if he had gotten nominated for this? Because this could be <laughs> So my friend John, who's one of our patrons, uh me and him work together on writing scripts and making projects and this and that. And he's like, Hey, I want you to read this book uh on acting, right? It's David Mamet. True and false, I think it's called, or yep. true or false. And essentially, it's it's classic David Mamet. It's like 170 pages, it could, or 120 pages. It could be like 10 pages, like, acting school suck, I know everything. That could, yeah. it, that could be the whole book, right? But it is really interesting, right, talking about how we praise the actor's ability to act and how it becomes this self-fulfilling circle, and it's actually just this circle jerk, right? Right, right. And I don't know if David Mamet just broke my brain and I was watching Brad Pitt today and I was like, I thought that was corny as fuck. <laughs> like, I thought that was corny as fuck. You know, I remember being like, Brad Pitt's the greatest actor you ever lived. I was pretty unimpressed with Jeffrey. And I mean, it also, it doesn't help because the script is just, it has this very teenage mindset in everything he says where He's just spouting nonsense, yeah. right? It's very much like a 16-year-old who like got his hands on a copy of the Anarchist Cookbook and then just Which like Which is what the character is, so they didn't sure. do anything wrong. I mean, that makes sense. Like I 
I actually find not the actual script itself. The performance is interesting because it's Brad Pitt before. Like this movie came out. I didn't know this either. I did a lot of reading about like when, because I was like, when did this movie come out and what were the, like who was famous then? Because like this is Brad Pitt. He like doesn't show up until halfway through the movie, but like he's on the poster and all that shit. But this movie came out after uh, Legends of the Fall and Seven. So he like was this movie like was fueled by the fact that Brad Pitt was in it. And yeah. I had like this like shock feels like the guy who's like, I'm the handsome guy and everything was like, I'm going to show him. I right. Well, I also I also read the way. So he originally was like doing the script and reading and Terry Gilliam like was like, you are not getting this like you are not fast enough and you're not manic enough. And it's like it's it's going to ruin the shit. It's going to ruin the shit. Yeah. They took away his cigarettes. Apparently, like, he was a huge chain smoker at that time. They took away Brad Pitt's cigarettes, and he was able to fucking nail this, like, staccato <laughs> speech. And I was like, that can't be true. But that's a great fucking story, if that's the case. <laughs> Terry Gilliam, give me your cigarettes! He's like this reverse Catherine Heigl. <laughs> <laughs> he's just this empty void, and he's like, what am I going to f- use instead of smoke? Rage. <laughs> no, I mean... It's just one of those care. I remembered him as a younger audience is, oh, right. He is. He is like Cole. He is incarcerated because he does not buy into the bullshit of society. My young, right. like punk rock mind. Right. Yeah, Of course. Fuck Absolutely. the man. Jeffy knows what's going on. Right. Yep, Everyone yep. else is full of shit. And I watched it today and I was like, I, I, I was. Uneven with Jeffrey. Right. Where I was like, so. He's just speaking in like platitudes, right? Like bullshit. He's sitting here and a lot of the movie has this kind of like first year of college rage, right? About capitalism and TV advertisement and all this kind of shit. Right. right? Yep. Stuff that's really easy to get behind. But if you keep listening to the movie, you're like, it's not actually saying anything about it. Just that bad. Right. Right. It's not giving you an interesting lens to look at the movie. And then you're like, oh, Jeffrey's just that guy. But for me as a teenager, right? He's an advertisement for who I think is cool. And now that the shine's worn off, I was like, oh. And this is the thing. I also don't want to just say that I think Brad Pitt's not a great actor. No. He might have delivered exactly what Terry Gilliam asked. I just thought the performance was way hokier than I had remembered. It didn't feel like this nuanced, real character. Well, It felt like Brad Pitt trying to convince us that he wasn't Brad Pitt. Well, and I think that... It's interesting that you say that because I honestly I feel like he spent so much time. He's spent decades, in fact, trying to convince us of that anyways. Like he like early on was so pigeonholed by the fact that he was just a really fucking handsome blonde. Just guy. like one of the most beautiful creatures just who's ever been the made. greatest looking person that ever existed. Right. So like he spent so much time. But like for me, the Goins bit almost factors in really heavily for me like it works on a level that like the same way the way the movie shot works again like for me the the pacing of this movie is not nearly it's it's it is very frenetic and i think that comes from it comes from cole's desperation and it comes from goins being so over the top that it's like hard to track and because the camera moves too like the camera moving with him really accentuates this like sort of odd performance where like if you just locked something off and walked away and let him do his thing i think it would actually it would be exactly what you're talking about which is like really over the top and you'd be like dude you're trying so hard man but maybe it's just the two of them made this perfect storm where i was like could be everyone in the background felt like they were actually yeah in the institution felt like they were in that uh yeah yeah, they were actually you know doing the role and it was just this weird mix where it, it it just didn't work for me this time. Yeah. They just didn't. And even him at the – because this is the thing, right? Wouldn't it be more interesting – and, again, I'm not trying to rewrite the movie, but that dinner party. I was like, Jeffrey's just existing as Jeffrey we saw. Right. And I was like, the Jeffrey in that asylum cannot exist out in the streets. Like, there's a guy when he's, like, sitting there, like, bring the shit to the, you know, zoo raid or whatever. He's like, you're a great man. Right. And I was like, no one on – earth would hear jeffrey say that and think he was actually a great man and lead him to the zoo and then i had to pause and be i had to travel back in my own time and be like you know what 
when I was 16 or whatever and saw this movie or 12 or four, anywhere in that range, right? 12 to 16 when I first saw this movie. Right. I thought Jeffrey was the hero of the movie. I thought he was a cool guy. So I was like, they do exist. So I feel like I came on strong and just said it wasn't a great performance or whatever. It's just, it's weird, right? This It's it's a weird thing. And again, I think it's another one of those. I don't know that uh, a MacGuffin has ever gotten more play in a movie than the Goins family. An actual they, MacGuffin, yeah. They essentially just, yeah, the McGuff, the McGoin Guffins or whatever. The McGoinfins. Yeah, the McGoinfins. They, we know now when the movie's over how little they matter. And this is the thing. Him tracking the 12 monkey army is way the least interesting part there's of the a movie. lot i think there's it's actually so a lot interesting there's it's so uninteresting him with the doctor trying to convince her and this is the thing you know what's really funny is he made this movie art he made this movie the fisher king is 12 monkey without the fucking like cracking the case <laughs> element right yeah you know what i mean right and i, I mean, love that movie too i i like the idea of two people that can't agree on what's reality right and having to just agree that they appreciate each other's humanity and figuring it out. I thought that was where the movie was best. I agree. I think that that's where the movie works really well for me. I, I think that everything surrounding it with like respect to sci-fi and any sort of genre elements, almost like you were saying, like it's almost, it's kind of unimportant to be honest with you. Like most yeah. of it is unimportant. Like, if they specifically say he can't change anything. If they tell him he's like, if they say he can't change anything, that's why I think the ending with her saying I'm an insurance, I'm like, that has got to be the fucking call out of like. That's a good riff, man. If you're right, if people agree with Alex, let us know on our socials, or emails. I because, think that's fucking awesome. I mean, that's true. like the only one that really, that was the thing that, because here's why is because at the end when he like finally realizes that he's seeing himself as a, as a young boy, he sees himself that like, We've been taught in every single element of time travel at this point. That's a paradox. Like paradox, like those paradoxes cannot exist. When they do, that the time-space continuum can shatter. For it to be a like, and this is like for it to be the beginning of the movie and a recurring motif, it's almost inconsequential that he would remember that. Like it, it, it's bizarre that it even is in the movie to me because, quite frankly, like it it makes it matters not it's just a vision he has for the rest of his life but it doesn't necessarily affect his like it doesn't affect his motivation at all it's weird to me that that's a thing in the movie i i don't understand why it's in there well this is something i know we've talked about i remember what was it hannibal season two the tv show mm -hmm. where they start the the season if i remember right with this confrontation from the very end of the the story yeah. arc yep and i was like why the fuck would you do that i hate when movies start with the end and they're yeah. like but rest assured this will be an exciting journey and i'm like less so now i fucking guarantee you that <laughs> less so now like let me fucking watch it how it should play out right right i hate that shit with this one it gets back to that determination thing right or determinism and i think in a weird way this is one of the only movies i can think of where it's the stakes of this movie don't matter at all. Nothing right. can be changed. Nothing can be done. Everything is fucked, dude. <laughs> right? right? That is on the poster of this movie. That but is because the movie. we know, right? Like you're saying, you knew that that was Cole that died. We know that nothing in this world can be made better now. And as we watch him fall in love with this present, right? The fresh air, the music, this, that, and the other. Again, we're just hoping that he gets to see that beach. There's that really interesting scene where he wakes up from time travel, right? When he's in the pond, right? right. She's honking the horn for the authorities. And all of a sudden, he sees, like, this beautiful scene. And the doctors are like, Blueberry Hill. And they're singing to him. And it's so fucking creepy. And they're like, you did it. Full part, and you're great. And it's like, we have music here, too. Just not for you when you're, like, one of them. Now you're one of us. That's the whole movie is that false moment of victory for him. Yeah. We want him to wake up and see. We want him to step off that plane and see that Florida coast one time. Right? Yeah. And, you know, that for me, that was enough by the end. I think the problem with the movie is that, again, it has 12 narratives and it needed just like the one. <laughs> yeah. Right. It just keeps like, do, do, do. The 12 monkeys are, in fact, the 12 stories that we have to follow to actually get to the point <laughs> of the movie. It's 
but yeah, but like again, I, for a movie that has a lot of extra time with MacGuffin, because this is the thing. I think we're saying this in hindsight. The first time I watched this, I was, I'm assured, I can assure everyone, I was more riveted by the race to defeat the twelve. Oh, absolutely. The first time I watched this as a supervillain probably was really awesome. The first time I watched this, the first time I saw the poster, I for sure I was just like, man, he's gonna catch these monkeys. I know he will. Like twelve. Monkeys Is he going to have box. to fight up a chamber like, you know, yeah. fucking game of death? What's I was like, doing? I know what's going to happen. I was, and I was hyped because it was Terry Gilliam. And I was like, oh, fuck. I love Brazil, man. I, I can't fucking wait. And it had like the same sort of aesthetics. Like, um, I, I do like I do like the Terry Gilliam aesthetic. It's sort of the steampunky thing that I mean, yeah, this, the this art. Right, the set design and the art of Terry Gilliam movies are just. Did you unrivaled. know because of the budget? Okay, I also read this because of the budget. There was there were no sound stages. That was all found locations. Really, that shit was art directed to hell, and I loved every minute of it. Like wow. that's impressive shit. shit. That's really impressive. I, w- I was even thinking just those opening shots in wintry New York. Yeah, I was like, fuck, that's insane. Like I really felt like that was a hollowed out frozen wasteland new york i thought that shit was amazing it was really impressive it's amazing and like i I would have assumed all the future stuff was a sound the costume design set design is so cool like all of it is like i i do love like that aesthetic of terry gilliam i think is unparalleled like no one has a brain like that that thinks of things like those that's that's where he really shines for me as a filmmaker so like for that that kind of stuff i'm always on board with but yeah ultimately like i I, I love that this movie does devolve. It doesn't devolve. It evolves really into this story about you just want this guy. You want this guy to see a good sunrise. That's really all that matters. But even that, like imagine at the end, right? Where she starts to believe him now. Right. And she's willing to hug him. Right. There's the scene where they hug and she, he just, cause this is the thing, right? You feel like this movie in another filmmaker's hand. And weirdly enough, even in other Terry Gilliam's hand, Right. Like they would have been fucking in that hotel. Like I knew it was true the whole time. For sure. But there's just this moment, this beautiful fucking moment where he's just tired. And he's like, I think I'm insane. I can't tell. Right. I'm mentally divergent. I want this one to be real. I don't want the other one to be real. Right. Right. And the movie specifically told us in no uncertain terms, because you have to lay everything out factually. That. The sad reality is real. And when he just puts his head against her chest, right? And she just kind of strokes his head for the first time. You sit there and you think, you're like, when's the last time that man had human contact? Oh, zero. And it's fucking beautiful, man. The stakes of that. And just him. I'll tell you one thing. I actually was pretty stoked that they both died horribly at the end of the movie. Um, (laughs) Because if you're going to go have your, like, making a plan and doing your mustache thing. Yeah. Don't fucking ruin a Hitchcock night at your local cinema. You yeah, not cool. Not yeah, that cool one guy behind him who just kept being shh, shh. I was like, yes, fine. Go out in the fucking lobby and, you know, fucking chit chat. Go to a Starbucks or something. Pretend you're writing a screenplay. Like, oh, we just got done with improv class. And he's like, yes, and. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we like mustache prosthetics. Like, don't fucking interrupt North or uh, Vertigo, you sacks of shit. But anyway, those little moments, right? Those little watching her go from the woman who was horrified of him in that car. Yep. To where they ended up, I thought was really cool. Like her just holding his hand at the end. Right. Like what an amazing moment that death becomes. Imagining that even in death, he's probably happier than he was in the future just because of that, that bond. Yeah. I will say this though, on that note, the movie had one of the weirdest and most unnecessary cuts of all time, <laughs> which, which is one? when, uh, so in the woods, right after she heals his leg, yep, he just grabs her hands and she's like, no, no, what are you doing? And we cut and we don't know what he's doing. And I was like, is this a sexual assault they're adding to the yeah, movie unnecessarily? Was... And then he goes to Jeffy's house and they're just like, oh, there's a mutilated woman in the woods. And I was like, why is that even said out loud? Why is that a part of this movie? So we can hate our main guy for like an extra five minutes. And then he goes back and she's in the trunk. And I was like, that is so unnecessary yeah. on so many storytelling levels. Yeah. There's and a it lot really of pissed me off. That one bothered me. A lot. There's a lot of that. Like for me, that's like the, 
that is the downside of like the final cut that Terry Gilliam gets for all his movies is that kind of shit makes it in. Like any other editor, any well, what other. What do you think is the intention of that? Like, if you just had to like I don't try to know. crawl into that headspace. I mean, like, if I was going to crawl into the headspace, we want them of, to think he's a violent like, rapist guess, and murderer. Perhaps there's a value in thinking he's dangerous. Are we supposed to be when he takes the lady he stuffed out of the trunk in the cold ass winter? Be like. Oh, what a nice guy. He only fucking forced her into a trunk it's, and locked her in. It's legitimately a puzzling thing just because, like, if... I mean, I guess if you... I or, like, know. when he... when he, they Do they need to go into the uh, underground theater and have the guy who's like, no, I'm going to rape the doctor, and he kills that guy? There were just moments where I was like, this movie's going hard, and I don't know what the effect is supposed to be on me, right? Like, are we yeah. supposed to be like, oh, he's a protector murderer? Or do the cops really need another reason to try to capture him besides the kidnapping? Yeah, I, that one. I found some of these decisions just fucking baffling, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, I yeah, that one, though, that one particularly was, I don't know. I guess there's a, I honestly, like, I honestly hadn't thought about it, but to be, but like the method to the madness, just like, I was just like, I guess this was just part of the thing within the like context of well, the movie that happens after. Right. Let me, let me see if I got this right. So we have the scene where they get to Philly. Yep. He sees the 12 monkey artwork. Yeah. He jumps out of the car and he's like, look, I was right. I was right. And this is the, this is the buy-in moment of the movie for the doctor character. Yeah. He left the car. She can drive away and no longer be a part of this guy's bullshit. Right. Be a part of him kidnapping her, right? Once she chooses to stay, what possibly can be the emotional stakes of the battle with those two dudes? It's not an interesting fight choreography. It's not we're not learning anything really. <laughs> he fought back against people who were trying to kill and rape. Okay. You know what I mean? It's just like one of those like it, why why is yeah, that a thing i the only explanation i can have is that two and i don't know it's not even a good reason like all i'm saying is just like to make him seem dangerous but like that's stupid so they already I, did that he beat up five cops yeah, he beat up five <laughs> cops like i, I don't all right know. well let me ask you another one now that we're just we'll get that's off a, of his weird choices right that's but, a fucking stumper right there man that i i feel like i'm pretty good at coming up with bullshit for yeah anything. me too i gotta tell you that one is i was like, just watching a couple of these moments and that when he put her in the trunk that cut i was like that's about as inexcusable of a cut <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was just like you're just totally derailing our faith in the only decent human being we have to try to root for all right what do you make of the voice in his head Right. So remember, he he sees the homeless guy outside of that mm -hmm. uh, theater of destruction. Yep. And he's like, hey, Bob. I think he calls him Bob or something. Right. Yes. Hey, Bob, they're tracking you. Bobby. Later, when the doctor confronts him, he acts like he has no idea who they are, or who Cole is. Right. Later, there's a, a rotund man uh, pooping in the airport. He becomes the voice of this this character. Uh, Cole hears him at the end. That's when it's like, you know, you know, you got to do what you got to do, whatever. Who do you think or what do you think that voice was? I at first thought it was. Because um, we first see it when he awakens and he's not in the asylum anymore. He's Houdini to the right. future again. That's the first time we hear him but never see him. I first thought it was Jose. Mm -hmm. Just because I'm like, that seems plausible in this regard. Because they both, they're the only two. Here's my thing. They're, they both showed up in World War Two or World War One. Mm -hmm. They both showed up at the same place in the trenches. So they are somehow universally linked. So I was always. But I Jose think, already came down the escalator at the ending. Right. So, I mean, OK, well, it can't. And they have a friendly relationship, right? Would yeah. you have been like, Cole, Cole, right? Yeah. Like they've already talked at the start of the movie. Who do you think that could be? The voice? Yeah. I mean, if I was going to venture a guess, I'd say maybe Cole. Okay, now this was my thing, right? Is this Cole <laughs> or is this also the future panel creating insurance, right? 
Because that's the thing. He's already chopped his tooth out by this point. Again, right. another fucking moment where you're like, if only you hadn't told us for sure that he was a time traveler. Yeah. The doctor having to make the emotional, emotionally loaded decision, right? Do I stay with the man who just beat a pimp and cut his tooth out? <laughs> Do I believe in him this much? Like, talk about a meat cute. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, maybe that wasn't the right tooth. Maybe he could have gone back after all. They just needed him to be there. So, yeah, do you think that's Cole talking to himself? I think so. I mean, it makes the most sense. Like, And, I mean, there's another level of this is, like, maybe that's – maybe it's Cole talking to himself, but maybe this is the, like, unreliable narrator thing is, like, Cole hears himself talking to himself, but this is, like, that's not necessarily what it is. Like, someone could be talking. Someone could be whistling a song – in real life but cole hears this in his head mm. well when he kicks the door down that guy is definitely not the guy who's like yeah i was just telling you all this stuff right i, I like that too because it leads me to this part of the end right where maybe cole is a more willing participant in this than we're led to believe right right and that's why he turns down the pardon and this and that maybe he wants to go back and doesn't care that he dies on that floor right because if he succeeds, I just get to into the weird time paradox, right? If he succeeds, we will now live in a world where the future was better and he was never sent back. Right. So Cole never would have gotten his time with the doctor. Cole would have never gotten his time with the doctor. Cole, as we know him, would have never existed. Because, yeah, you wouldn't assume that he kills that P-tail Riddler guy. And just gets to stay with her and go to Key West, right? There would be ramifications upon the future, you would think, right? Even though they say there's not. Right. Right? Like, why does he go after that guy to shoot him when he knows he can't save anything? Well, I mean... Why not make the call and go to Key West and die there the next day and get brought back to the future? Like, it's just one of those... You start to add it up and you're like, maybe that was Cole's inner voice like, hey, be with her. Yeah. I mean, I think that's Hitchcock blonde one more time. That makes sense. And the loop will continue. If you break the loop, you will lose her. Tracks for me, man. I mean, I I, I don't like see why a movie about a guy who literally can't figure out if he's actually time traveling or if he's an insane person would probably talk to himself or hear someone talking to him. (laughs) Makes sense to me. It's not beyond the scope. It's not beyond the scope of this time travel narrative. I'll say that. (laughs) All right, Alex. Uh, So after our long discussion, would you say that you like or don't like 12 Monkeys? It felt like you were starting with the just the tip of, oh, I don't like it. Just kidding. I don't know. Where do you land on it after talking it through? I think I can say I like the movie. I do not like Terry Gilliam as a filmmaker, but I do like 12 Monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. I will. This is the thing. I was taken aback by how much of the things I liked as a young, more chaotic man, right, mm-hmm. were not in the movie, right? This movie had aged with me, as it says in itself. Right. Uh, the things that I thought were cool and important when I was younger were not there. Right. I like the introspective journey on what is real, what matters, mm-hmm. how do people perceive us, and what are the consequences of that. Right. And I I think the movie, despite its, you know, chaos and at times being overly directed and overly acted, not to the effect that I think I remembered, Mm -hmm. they land every important moment that you need for that kind of a tale, right? For me to really care that Cole gets to hold her hand at the end of the movie. Right. I think they did a really good job of that. Right. And Bruce Willis was spectacular. This was Bruce at his absolute pinnacle. He could do no wrong to me at this period. Totally. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a very different movie. Right. I like this version of 12 Monkeys, honestly, better than the young teenage punk rock version. Uh, You know that that Griffey liked that version. I bet I like this version better than he did. Um, And I, I think that's cool, man. I like when it's a new movie. I like when it's yeah, I like that it's new to me. It's helpful. That's means it. You're growing. You're growing. You're like a giraffe running free on the, the, the fucking thoroughfares. Yeah. That's it for 12 Monkeys. Uh, guys, we have a jam-packed July, Whew. especially if you're one of our patrons. 
Uh, that is patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod for as little as a dollar a month. You can help support the show and join our community. So many awesome things coming down the pipe for you guys. Uh, so we still have patron-exclusive Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We will be doing uh, the next two Fear Street movies, M. Night Shyamalan's Old. We've got The Butterfly Effect next week, Thursday, Bill wow. and Ted. What an amazing month, Good uh, month we still have ahead of us. So thank you guys for listening. Please leave a rating and review. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. Feel free to email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. And again, patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod is the very best way to help us grow the show. Thank you guys for your time from the Film Alchemist. I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino from the present. That was my that was my coins. Yeah, nice. I'm gonna get an Oscar for that. (laughs) At least a nomination.